everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of geopolitical and domestic developments currently in focus. A no shortage of topics to cover, so glad to have with us for the conversation today. I'm glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, welcome back. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to hearing your insights. Thanks, Dan. Good to be back with you. So, Shane, as I alluded to, there is no shortage of a timely topics to cover both overseas as well as here at home. Uh, maybe beginning with some geopolitical developments. I know the images, developments out of Afghanistan over the past 48 to 72 hours, quite jarring. President Biden did return to Washington yesterday to deliver some remarks on what has been unfolding, how the administration has been responding and what the path forward might look like. We've heard similar press conferences from the State Department, the Pentagon. So, Shane, what do we know today in terms of the Biden administration's response to what has been unfolding in Afghanistan? What's currently in progress and what else might be coming down the pike? Yeah, I mean, since we've last spoken, you know, um, everything has changed in Afghanistan and for the Biden administration, their focus has changed. Uh, You know, uh, we've seen this coming where uh, President Biden has, uh, for the past few weeks, signaled a pullback from Afghanistan. Uh, but as you know, this uh, really uh, devolved quickly over the past few days. Um, and now we're at the point where we see the Taliban having uh, pretty much full control over Afghanistan. Um, and with that, you know, the, the, the last remnant of uh, U.S. stronghold is the airport uh, where uh, U.S. personnel, U.S. allies um, are trying to be evacuated. And this is just isn't, you know, the U.S. It's, you know, I believe I read this morning that Ukraine has 100 um, um, citizens uh, trying to uh, get out of Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, I think the focus right now is uh, kind of twofold from the Biden administration, you know, one, trying to kind of limit the damage and get uh, personnel and allies evacuated, and that will be the focus. And then the other is trying to explain, you know, to uh, the world and the American people, you know, that uh, they feel still feel that they made the right decision, as President Biden um, talked about yesterday in his speech, you know, where he says, you know, in his mind, the reality is that this would have happened regardless. It could have happened 10 years ago. It could have happened 15 years from now. Um, you know, uh, it was the responsibility of the 300,000 Afghanistan troops to stand up to the Taliban, and that obviously happened. So, you know, a lot of questions about what will be next for Afghanistan, and you're seeing um, some diplomatic overtures made to the Taliban you know, from countries like China. Uh, I, I think the Biden administration will be primarily focused on getting everyone out to this moment, and then they'll uh, start shifting gears towards what they do next with Afghanistan, which, 
you know, is now solidly controlled by the Taliban. To your point there, Shane, a lot of questions in terms of what comes next. I know the Pentagon recently briefed a group of senators on concerns surrounding terrorist activity, potential buildup in Afghanistan. Of course, you think back to when the engagement began two decades ago. One of the mandates of the U.S. military was to eliminate terrorist activity buildup in the country. So what do we know in terms of what the Pentagon had shared with the Senate? Yeah, no, uh, that is great. Uh, question because obviously there are a lot of um, concerns that you know uh, Afghanistan will once again become this um, safe harbor for uh, a terrorist activity a terrorist training so you know senators um, uh, had this had a conversation with the Pentagon and you know I think they're trying to the Pentagon is trying to put forth a strategy of why um, Afghanistan won't become uh, a terrorist um, hotbed a, a second time around. Um, you know, looking at how they can uh, have, you know, quick reaction forces uh, deal with the international community to try and keep an eye on the situation. You know, I think that you have a lot of senators who are scratching their heads, uh, very concerned um, about the direction and, are going to be pushing uh, the State Department, the Defense Department, and the Biden administration in general to try and um, uh, 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 ensure that, you know, we're not just uh, in a situation where history repeats itself. Um, so this is going to be uh, one to absolutely follow. Uh, I think you'll still see, you know, um, uh, efforts by the Department of Defense, but... You know, this is going to be a key part of the Biden uh, strategy in the years to come um, and, and how they deal with the fallout of the Taliban uh, taking control of Afghanistan yet again. Wide range of implications here, and I know developments are unfolding rapidly. So, of course, we'll continue to pay close attention to this story. And, Shane, we can have some follow-up conversations as we learn and see more in the coming weeks and days. Maybe we can pivot now to domestic issues. I know House Speaker Nancy Pelosi recently indicated efforts to advance the infrastructure bill, that bipartisan infrastructure bill, as well as a $3.5 trillion budget framework together. Yet that plan is, interestingly, receiving some pushback from moderate House Democrats. So what exactly have we been hearing up on Capitol Hill, Shane, and how might this play out in terms of a timeline? Yeah, so last week, the Senate passed this $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package, and they also passed this $3.5 trillion budget framework. Now, I, I specifically use the word framework because it does not actually contain any spending or tax increases. And it is just the framework that sets up the process later to actually uh, pass legislation to spend money and potentially increase taxes. And so what you have here now is the House is scheduled to um, come back into session next week and do that same $3.5 trillion budget resolution so that the um, uh, they can move forward in trying to pass that uh, the actual spending and tax bill later this fall. But at the same time, you have uh, moderate Democrats who are not on board with that plan, and uh, nine have actually sent a letter to Speaker Pelosi saying they will not vote uh, to pass such a such a budget resolution until the House has taken up that one point two trillion dollar uh, bipartisan infrastructure package. Now, as we've talked about, uh, 
previously, progressive Democrats don't want to do that because they're concerned that passage of that package will imperil uh, their long-term spending and tax plans. Um, so you ha- kind of have Speaker Pelosi being pulled from both sides, and she is right now digging her in the heels and, you know, saying, I, I, I previously laid out this two-track tra- uh, strategy, and I'm sticking with it. Um, so next week is going to be very interesting to see if those moderates follow through on their promise. Now, Speaker Pelosi is trying to reassure them by saying, hey, I'm going to move them simultaneously. It, it's good. It'll be fine. Um, but we'll see if they actually believe her or uh, will they actually um, uh, stop the $3.5 trillion uh, budget resolution. Now, if, if they do, that, that could just be a short-term um, uh, problem for progressive Democrats. Um, you know, Speaker Pelosi is one of the most skilled politicians uh, I've ever seen, so I think she'll figure a way out of this. She's probably working all the sides right now to figure out her pathway forward. Um, but this is, you know, if it wasn't for Afghanistan, this would probably be the number one thing we're reading about in the paper right now. Well, it is interesting because there is a lot here to get over the finish line and clearly through the ranks, a lot of, of viewpoints, opinions on how best to do so and what a path forward might look like. So uh, we'll, of course, track this and see if we see any developments unfold over the next week. Uh, though, thank you, Shane, for bringing us up to speed on that. Uh, maybe one final topic we can hit on for this week. I know recently we have been speaking about the Delta variant of COVID 19, how both federal and state governments are responding. Uh, mask mandates in particular have been reinstated in some areas across the country. I know since we last spoke, I've seen evidence of that in my own area up here in the Northeast. So this is unfolding quickly, though recently the Texas Supreme Court in particular, uh, they temporarily suspended local mask mandates. So can you offer us, Shane, some context around what's occurring in Texas? And might we see similar actions taken? shape in other states. Yeah, with the Delta variant and, you know, um, this resurgence of COVID cases, you know, there's a lot going on here. Uh, You know, I think the good news that we should also uh, talk about is that the uh, vaccine uh, vaccinations have increased. Uh, You know, uh, I think this past Friday, we saw the most uh, vaccinations in one day than we've seen in months. So, you know, uh, this does this is changing the landscape. And as you mentioned, you have Um, This very interesting dynamic where, you know, besides red states versus blue states, you have, you know, sometimes red uh, governors versus blue cities. So um, in Texas, the governor, Governor Abbott, has um, instituted a a no mask mandate uh, um, executive order. Um, But then you see uh, localities, you know, ignoring that and still imposing um, uh, a, a wide-ranging mask mandate, um, you know, often to cover public schools, colleges and businesses and government buildings. And so, you know, you have uh, what is this com- um, back and forth between, you know, the, the governor, the head of the state versus local communities, um, which is ending up in the courts. And you've actually had different um, um competing uh, uh, courts with different rulings. You know, the Texas Supreme Court temporarily nixed mass mandates. Um, And then later uh, on, a lower court judge essentially reinstated 
one of these mask mandates. So there is a lot of confusion here. Um, and I think it'll take a, a few days, maybe weeks to get sorted out. Um, and potentially some of these cases even going um, further up the food chain. Um, so, you know, I think <laughs> this is not going to be the last we've heard of this. You know, I, I joked with someone last year about mass mandates, how, um, you know, this is a conversation that uh, unfortunately is probably going to be ongoing. And I, I thought it would be ongoing for a few months. And here we are a year later still um, fighting each other over, over mass mandates. So it's unfortunate that we're in this position, obviously. Um, but I think we're going to still be talking about mass mandates uh, for a, a bit bit longer now. This particular issue, it's one that at times can be contentious, though, as you pointed out, Shane, uh, the silver lining might be how vaccination rates are uh, seeing an uptick. I did see that the White House, President Joe Biden, and we've been hearing potential that this might come at some point, though. We've been hearing reports that the White House will be encouraging perhaps a third uh, booster shot. Do we know anything about that as of today, or is it more wait and see at this point, Shane? Yeah, no, the... um the CDC, I think, has already approved booster shots for uh, those who are uh, immunocompromised, um, and they're looking for official sign-off for um, booster shots for everyone who wants them. Um, so I think we're getting close to that. So, And my understanding is that the booster shot will come eight months after um, you're fully vaccinated. So you know, this fall will probably be a period where we see millions of Americans get those booster shots uh, to try and protect themselves um, from further infection. So, you know, you know, uh, there's, as you were, as you were alluding to, I think the, the glass is half full and it's also half empty today. So hopefully um, it will be all full in the coming weeks. Right. Here's hoping. Well, Shane, as always, appreciate the clarity, uh, timely topics that we're all tracking very closely that are important to our listeners, our clients. Uh, Thank you for dropping by on a Tuesday, Shane, and we'll look forward to picking back up the conversation again with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for talking to me, Dan. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. And today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and our clients of UBS, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.